0: when you tell a young person new into the business, it's okay to fail, they don't buy that. They don't experience that. If you work on one of our sales teams, you probably haven't failed a lot. You've probably been a pretty successful person in order to get there. So that reflection back is what allows you to do that. The other piece is, hey, we want you to fail, but you also have a real sales goal. Brock, you need to go out and sell a couple million dollars in business every year. And if you don't, we have a problem. So there is this balance on us as leaders saying, hey, it's okay to try things and fail, but you have a certain sales goal I need you to get to. And that balance is tricky.
1: Welcome to Hot Coffee, Cold Beer. I'm your host, Brock Hendricks. On this podcast, we'll sit down and share a hot coffee or a cold beer with the people inside the sports industry on and off the field who make live sports possible. Today's guest is the Associate Vice President of Sales with the New England Revolution and Craft Sports Group, Nick Mann. Nick has spent time as a director with the LA Galaxy, Shivas USA, San Antonio Spurs, Staples Center, and now with Craft Sports Group. In Nick's 20 plus years of sports experience, he's picked up some pretty incredible perspective. Nick is a graduate of UMass Amherst, a fearless leader and a passionate inspirer. You'll hear about one small thing you can do every day in your career to help you grow, how planning your life is a joke, and what mistakes a young Brock Hendricks made that you at home can learn from. Nick and his wife Andrea live in the Boston suburb of Westwood with their four-year-old daughter Mackenzie. My man, Nick Man, how you doing today? Uh, do you have a hot coffee or cold beer ready to go? Actually, I'm a little bit, I actually have an iced coffee. It's a curveball answer, but you know. Yeah, it's actually, it's actually summer here for once, so you know, you got to take advantage of it. I'm not surprised you have a coffee though, because that's one of the things we have in common is drinking 36 cups of coffee a day. <laughs>
0: true story yes
1: this interview is going to be super fun in particular because i've said on my list of like white whales for the show among others i think it would be really funny to interview my own boss like i just think that dynamic would be super humorous well here we are with a chance to interview a former boss who has no like nothing on the agenda here like you don't have to save face for when we get back into the office so I'm excited to see where this goes. (laughs) Me too, man. I look forward to it. So we wanted to talk to you specifically because anybody who talks to you for even six seconds picks up a million lessons. And I think you're somebody that every human from every walk of life in any industry, anywhere in the world needs to hear from because your intangibles are just off the chart. The word to describe you when when we asked around about interview prep was just special. Nick, man, is special. There's nobody else in the world that has the whole picture put together like I think you do, Nick.
0: That's really nice of you to say, man. I really appreciate you saying that.
1: So I think anyone who has worked for you would say that you are tough, but always fair. Where do you think that sense of tough love and leadership comes from?
0: You know, I love that, that actual description because, you know, I think that's what I go for. You know, I go for the idea that you want to do really great things. You know, you want your leaders to tell you like it is that you want to push them, um, but you want your goals to be attainable. I think, uh, you know, it could come down to, you know, I grew up on a small farm in Western Massachusetts to a father who was a laborer who was kind of held you accountable. I certainly think it could be from my upbringing that does that. But I also think early on, you know, some been given goals or given things that were just so far out of reach. So the idea is is really kind of finding what motivates each individual person, but making it a realistic thing that they can actually achieve. Is it true that your
1: dad has a nickname for you and that nickname is Hollywood?
0: Yeah, he 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 certainly said that. I mean, we're from this small town, so he makes fun of a couple of things. He he would talk about my typing fingers, you know, and these little types of things because he's he's not used to people in 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 this type of space. Coming from a, a very blue collar, small family farm, my father ran a construction company and an excavating company. Yeah, just a different world out there in LA.
1: Before we get into you and your role with the craft group, with the New England Revolution and and Patriots, can you maybe paint a picture for the fans and the listeners because this. This would be the first time we hear from somebody who has directly managed a young brock Hendricks in yeah. what feels like a lifetime ago and god bless your soul for having to work with that guy i mean let We me, sure. me tell you about an, a raw unguided employee but maybe paint the picture of what were some of your first impressions of us this is about two three years ago at this point
0: You know, it's interesting, Brock, I I think when you first came in the interview, you actually didn't get the job with us. You know, it seems like a nice kid. I wasn't fully sure kind of the the exact fit. And then we kind of, we kept you there because there was something about you. And I think when the next opportunity came open, we brought you in and David Brewster at that time, I think was all in on it. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's give this kid a try. And I think people ask us all the time, kind of what you're looking for in a rep or like this cliche type of question. I think it's pretty simple. Give me a positive attitude and give me coachability and this person will be in incredibly successful in day one there's nobody who did it better than you in that in in those two characteristics I think the first second you came in we said hey Brock we're gonna put you in a role that we've never done before and we're just gonna experiment with you to see if it'll work and we said we're gonna try some things out we're gonna throw you to the wolves here and 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 just see how this thing could go and really from day one you did everything we asked you not only did that but you innovated in the position and I think for us it's not only putting people in those spots to be successful we then want them to grab them and you know people people might know a certain amount of this, but we talk about this all the time. Like, you know, you're a hundred meetings in without making your first sale and just keeping you positive, keeping you going, saying, hey, you know, you are doing the right things here. Man, we were just so convinced that if you kept doing those things, you would pass up guys in the office who had way more experience. So I talk about you to this day very often with my current team who is going through some of those initial challenges of learning how to sell to corporate America and learning how to go through that process and communicate with a 45-year-old CEO of a company when you're just a young person who, who lives in a different world than them. So that, that would be my biggest takeaway is you were so coachable and said, just point me where to go, tell me what to do and I will do it. And, and you just did a fantastic job in that.
1: I'm so glad you could tell your kids, like, hey, look, if this schmuck did it, y- yep. you're going to be okay.
0: I'll tell you, I don't know if this is, this is not a compliment to you, but what I say about you sometimes, I go, you wouldn't look at this kid and go, this is like a rock star salesperson. But he does every little thing correctly. He's a world-class like communicator. Like He's somebody you'll sit down and you'll immediately like. He's going to be engaging. And really, the salesmanship kind of is whatever at that point, right? Can you get a meeting? And can you actually sit in there and just engage with a person and have a conversation? And you're one who would never struggle in that space. You and I have had some really uh, personal and in-depth conversations in my office about life, about all these different types of things. And I think, man, those are things that I really look at as to what you brought to the table and what's going to make you just incredibly successful in the future. Well, thank you for saying that. You know, Among the things that you've
1: taught me in an introspective way that a lot of salespeople are kind of like baseball players. You know, you take on different identities, you take on different skill sets, but for the most part, if these certain foundational intangible aspects are there, you can figure it out, right? So, you know, a comparison would be Dustin Pedroia, former Red Sox player, former MVP, who is 5 foot 6, 5 foot 7, but did every little thing right to put himself in a position to succeed. You also see 6 foot 4 center fielders with strong arms and good form but no work ethic. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing between the two players. Do you have the hustle? Do you have the heart? Do you have the drive to get better? And it's not complicated. It's another Nick Manism is it's not rocket science.
0: Yep. Yeah, I think I, well, I look at it all the time going like, hey, fundamentals win championships and everything that you do. The whether it's the sales process, whether it's life, doing the little things correctly. And I think that's a it's a great comparison you just made, but that is something that Really from day one, man, what I was so thankful for our time together, those fundamentals over and over again, because, you know, the stuff we're teaching in sales today has not become incredibly advanced. It is just the little things over and over again. Well, enough about me. This is your podcast. This is your story. So so let's get
1: into the origin a little bit and let's start here. So you move out to Los Angeles with Mm -hmm. your brother, or so you think, and you get out here with the chance to chase your LA dreams. Walk us through those first couple of days and how you get your first shot at a career in sports.
0: Yeah, so my brother wanted to be an actor, and I got out of. I went to UMass Amherst. I was a sport management major, and kind of looked at what was next for me. And my brother wanted to be an actor, so we said, "Oh man, it's gonna be awesome. Let's move to L.A. together." I grew up a Laker fan, even from Massachusetts. Strangely, my father was a Laker fan, and really, you know, I growing up in the '80s, kind of that Laker-Celtics rivalry. And I think my father was just a contrarian and wanted to kind of join the other side, and that's that's kind of how we became Laker fans. So I said, "Hey, this L.A. thing will be awesome. We're gonna move out." So it's a couple days before we leave, and my brother's like, yeah, yeah, I'm not going. And I was already, I was like ready to roll, ready to go out there. I had, My job had transferred out there. I worked for this little finance company. So then it was just me on my own. So I came out here by myself and lived in this little hotel in Downey as I worked in this little finance company. And it, it was a really, a tricky first kind of month or so. But it was a real kind of being thrown to the wolves in a city I wasn't familiar with at all. I, I just didn't even have any relationships, any friends, any family, anything out there. My brother eventually came out. Man, that drive out by myself going, man, what am I doing? I'm going to this city all by myself. I lived in a hotel. I didn't even have an apartment. My board Explorer was all full to the back with all of my, everything I owned for like the first two months as I lived in this hotel. as was a trip. A lot of people
1: ask about like, thinking about moving out to LA, like, is, is it so glamorous? And there's more stories like yours. There's yeah. more moments of, listen, this LA dream isn't exactly a dream. 99% of the time. Is it true that you used to go to the Venice Boardwalk and, and play pickup basketball just to
0: try and meet people? Yeah, I loved it. It was one of my favorite things to do. When I didn't know anybody, it was like I, my brother would always tell me about Venice Beach and I remember I would go down there and play ball and it, it was just so much fun to do on like a Saturday morning. It's the true LA like to bring people to LA. I'd always come down to Venice to just experience that world man. It is just one of my favorite places to all the different things you see down there. And the pickup games are interesting. Everybody's a whiner, you know, everybody gets touched and everybody wants to call these kind of fouls. But as a whole, it's a—it's uh, an awesome place to go down to. It sounds like a
1: Massachusetts kid moving out to L.A. and who just saw a white men can't jump and think like <laughs> that's, that's the you're L.A. Not- dream. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. So how do you make the leap? Fill us in on the gap from finance company that'll let you work from wherever to,
0: to sports. Yeah. So I, you know, my goal was to be in professional sports and at that point it's, you know, this is 2002. I would go to Kinko's and I would print out like 30 resumes every couple weeks. And I would make the cover letter one color and the resume another color. So the ones I would send to the Lakers would be like a purple cover letter and a gold resume. The Dodgers would be like white and blue. I would send it out to every pro sports team out there, but the tricky part is I wasn't even applying for jobs it was literally what I must have been writing must have been insane I was writing these lines I'm basically like hey I love sports I'm a uh, I'm a sport management alum I'd love to work for your team and I would send it to like the top couple execs on each team and I would do this week after week and the galaxy called me and I knew nothing about soccer but I knew they were owned by AEG at that point and AEG on the Staples Center and my goal was to work for the Lakers so I looked at this opportunity that paid almost nothing like less than half of what I made in the finance gig but it was my chance to get into professional soccer um, and I I took what was considered an inside sales role with the Galaxy at that point. But it was the type of thing where I was like, am I really going to do this? Am I going to try to sell soccer? I didn't know anything about that. But it ended up just being an awesome decision. I spent eight years there and met my wife there. I have to imagine early 2000s working in sports is much different
1: than it is today, where, you know, now kids go into college knowing that these kind of jobs exist even as early as maybe five, six years ago, when I was in college, I didn't really understand that this was a part of the business. And especially in the early 2000s, when you're sending out letters just saying, hey, please hire me. You probably didn't even understand what working in sports really meant at the time. Is, Is that a fair assumption?
0: No doubt. I got out, when I got out of UMass, I graduated in 2001 with a sport management degree. If you would have asked me the day after graduation, how does ticket sales work in pro sports, I wouldn't even have understood if it was a thing. They weren't even talking about it. I go back and I speak to some college classes now and I spend a bunch of time out at UMass talking to their classes. Where the students are today is just light years ahead of where we
1: were back then. So the Nick Mann dream, the whole goal is to get the Staples Center and get to the Lakers. And for those who maybe just don't know the industry that well, the Lakers jobs with them are very far and few in between. There's just not that many things to do. It, it's such a buttoned up organization that they don't really need ticket sellers. So walk us through the moment when you are leading a team with the San Antonio Spurs and you get a call that, hey, you have an offer to be a part of the Staples Center and the
0: Lakers team. It was a pretty amazing time for us. I mean, when I took the opportunity to be down in the Spurs, you know, I spent, you know, almost 10 years in Major League Soccer. And when I went to work for the Spurs... It was amazing. I mean, to be part of an NBA franchise, just a world-class franchise, I, I look at the Spurs as they are who you think they are. San Antonio, I think for my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, San Antonio just wasn't, I think, the the place we are going to spend the rest of our lives. And I think when it came down to the idea of, man, the idea of selling sweets at Staples Center it is the dream for me. It was the Mecca. It was what I'd always wanted to do. And, and the four years I spent there, man, were such a incredible time in my career, from the people I met to the experiences that that we got to have, you know, from the signing of LeBron James and Kobe's retirement game and Grammy Awards and all those different types of things. The moments, I think as you get older, you appreciate these things way more. The idea of sitting at Staples Center, looking out my window at LA Live from my office, gosh, what a dream of an opportunity to be there. There wasn't much downside to it. It was just an amazing place.
1: Being a high-level executive in the sports industry certainly has its perks. Like You've been to NBA Finals games. You've taken your wife, Andrea, to multiple World Series games and the Grammys. You've been a CSQ Innovator of the Year award winner. You've been to the Playboy Mansion on New Year's Eve. Your daughters (laughs) met Tom Brady at Pat's training camp. But can you explain to our listeners why your favorite event in your career was Disney on ice?
0: As life changes, Brock, you're still a, a young guy. And as life evolves... It just, turned, it just turns about to be about your kids and about your family. You know, when I think of my daughter, who will be five on Thursday, when we brought her down and we got to go down in the first couple rows and she got to watch Disney on Ice with Frozen, for someone like her to experience that, the light it was on her face, she's probably three years old at that point. She's glowing. She's glued to it for two years. And my wife and I have been to a lot of those ever since. It's the most important event every year on the calendar of the man family. And I think as, as your priorities change, as life changes, we sometimes in the sports industry, and I know we do this at Staples Center, we go, you get the Lakers, you get this. And it's like, man, for a lot of people, why we're really going is to just have those times with our family. We, we want to create amazing experiences for our daughter. And Disney on ice for us, man, it's it. I don't know. We, gosh, we might have been eight or nine of them at this point. And they're not bad. I actually get a kick out of them. But what it does for my daughter is and it's worth every second of it. I would pay
1: any amount of money to hear Nick Mann singing Let It Go with his <laughs> daughter.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you, we, when we left Staples Center... She was sitting on my shoulders. We're walking out the door and she is screaming, let it go and singing the whole song. And it is like, it makes me emotional right now thinking about like those memories. You know, I remember Laker games and sure they were amazing and there's some awesome experiences. But when you think about what sports entertainment really bring to you, it's those moments. It's those things that how do us as salespeople actually communicate what that means in life? Those types of things. I know you and your father have just some world-class experiences like that. But yeah, those personal things, man, are what sports are really all about and it's. And in general, what
1: it's really all about. We have to take a quick pause in today's episode to give a huge shout-out to our sponsor, Pick 6. You actually may remember, in episode 6, the co-founder of Pick 6, Sean Riley, came by and shared his story. So if you haven't already, go check out his Instagram page and give him a follow. It's the best football content on social media. Pick 6 actually has their own podcast about graphic design, along with breaking NFL news and unbiased sports talk about all 32 NFL teams. So give him a follow at pick.6. That's pick dot six on instagram and a big thanks to sean and the pig six crew for being a part of our show So it has to be a pretty difficult decision, and especially to be accomplishing your goals. You set out to say, I want to work for the Lakers. I want to get to Staples Center. Then you finally do. You're here. You're a big fish in the place of your dreams. So how do you come to this decision that it's time to leave and move back to Boston?
0: Probably, you know, a a year before I left or so, my wife and I really started sitting down looking at this. And I think I looked at my life and I was about to turn 40. I had a young daughter. I had this amazing wife at home. And I just didn't want to be the person that stayed at Staples Center three nights a week until 8.30 at night and drove an hour to work each way. And, you know, if you talk to me in my 20s, Brock, I wanted to be the president of a club. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to run a team. And now I sit here and I look at what that takes and I go, I just don't think that's for me. I don't think I want to be the person that works that much. I respect those people. and and In my life at this point, the most important thing is me and my family having dinner together at 6 or 6.30 at our house. And that job just doesn't let that happen. You know, and and even though those amazing positives and what awesome titles and in the in the opportunity that entails i think as we all get older our priorities change and for me now my priority is working at a place that i enjoy i love the idea of being able to to train young people it's still the most important part of the job that i always want to have here and it's as important for me to be able to take my daughter to breakfast in the morning or have dinner with my family than anything else and that was a real decision we made and the last part of it is i think as you get older too you realize how important your family and friends are we live in a little community outside of Boston, this little community, Westwood. It's just amazing. It's amazing to be part of a, a smaller community where our daughter can grow up in this great place. And the New England feel is something that's really special. Again, in my 20s and early 30s, I would have never come back here. Um, but then as you get older, my parents are close to here. My brother's close to here. A lot of my wife's family and friends are here. So, And, and it was a no-brainer for us to come back. The idea it's, it's interesting, the idea of leaving Staples Center and coming to work for an MLS franchise in New England is a big change. But one, I haven't regretted for one second. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity they gave me here.
1: What are the odds that you move to L.A.? You go to work in sports, and you meet a girl also from Massachusetts who moved to yeah. move L.A.
0: What are the odds, you know? It, it's crazy. She went. My wife went to USC out there during the real glory days to have an opportunity to meet her and work together and have this be home for both of us. And I think it just goes like... The idea of planning your life is such a joke, right? It's, it's like this idea of like, where does the future bring you? I don't know. I work with young folks on this type of thing all the time. When I was a kid, it was like, I want to do this and then become a director and then a vice president and then be a president of a team. And it's like, how about you just kind of do what you're doing, learn every day and figure out where your life takes you? Because this thing, no one's ever going to write up, well, I moved to LA, I go work in soccer, move to Texas, work in basketball, back to LA, then realize I should be home, have a daughter, find a woman from Massachusetts so we can both move home. It's like it's such a joke stop stressing so much about planning learn every day find a place you you enjoy being see where that will take you
1: nick that's one of the themes we keep coming back to on this show this has probably come up in half of the interviews that we do is this idea of you have to roll with the punches you cannot plan it out to be this way you Mm -hmm. cannot go step by step you're only going to connect the dots looking backwards so the craft group says nick welcome to the team the job's yours if you want it Why do you think they chose you in particular? Like, what is it about Nick Mann that stood out to an amazing world-class organization like Kraft Group?
0: yeah I think there's a couple of things. I think I have, a, I have a longstanding relationship with my boss here, who, who we worked together at the Galaxy you know 15 years ago, and we've, uh, we've kept up over that time. I think there's also no secret that you know we play at Gillette Stadium, same place as the Patriots play right now, and we need our own building and we want our own building, and the future of our team is going to be you know world-class soccer specific stadium, create a sales team to go out and do that. And, and the Revs weren't as focused on the corporate space. you know we sold to you soccer. We sold to a lot of families. We've got a really loyal fan base out here. But I think I brought a little bit of difference where we could kind of build up our corporate sales team to be ready for our franchise really to to take it to the next level. And and I think the relationships you build in this game, again, we couldn't have written it like this, that we'll work together somewhere down the road. But we just kept up with one another and, and respect one another. And I think that's where this opportunity came from.
1: What are some of your best tips to a young person listening? that has maybe never sold to corporate America before, or this just isn't a skill they have in their repertoire. How do you build on something like that? Give us some ground up steps.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things. I think the idea, if you're currently working in sports, find the best salespeople and hang out with them. Can you just go on meetings with them and observe? Can you see what people are doing as to what makes them successful? Salespeople, we love to kind of wallow in our misery a bit. And I've been on so many lunches with five other salespeople saying why everything sucks. You know, if I'm working at Staples Center, Brock, and, you know, I'm I'm on a team like yours, I'm like, spend some time with David Brewster. Spend some time with Edward. You know, get yourself out there and really spend some time with guys who are world class in this space and see how they act sit with a guy like edward and go that's how you present yourself like being a world-class salesperson and then find your way don't sit with the person who's struggling who's complaining about it and brock you've been amazing with my young people on this type of thing good senior sales people and they want to help they want to talk to folks about that. They want to guide you on that. And the other thing is you have to be patient because the reality is you're not going to get this thing done tomorrow. You're not going to be an expert. This thing takes so much time. I hope when I run a corporate meeting, I can do a decent job on it because I've been on hundreds and there's nothing that's really going to surprise you. But Brock, if you just think through your first hundred meetings, you're probably sitting there a hundred meetings in, haven't sold anything going, I stink at this thing. I can't do well at this, right? Because you're just you're getting beat up in that. And you've got to realize that you can't teach experience. You can't teach taking the time, being out there, engaging, learning, and getting better every time. And every meeting you go on, let's say it was a complete failure. It was never a failure. You learned, you figured out why didn't this work? Great, I'm going to prospect better. But it's just that idea of surrounding yourself with badass salespeople, quality people, and just quality humans on top of it all. Because when I think of guys like you, Brock, or David Brewster, or Kaj, or, or Edward, or any of those folks out there, I just think of world-class human beings on top of all of that. It means a lot to hear you say that because one of the big goals for this is, you know, I want this show
1: to be a good representation of the company we work for, that the Staples Center, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Kings. I want people to see how a little bit of appeal behind the curtain of how amazing this place is. And so yes. you singling out my teammate, Edward Andrews, and my, my now boss, David Brewster, and Michelle Cajuarez. I'm getting a little moved here. Like, it was very important, but... I'm a fan of existential crises, deep life altering questions. And this is one I wanted to pose to you based on the answer you just gave us with how people learn. Why do you think everyone is so afraid of failure? Because I think every single person that we've talked to on this show would tell you that the reason they're successful is because they fail, because they Mm -hmm. learned how to fail and they learned how to not make the same mistake twice.
0: Why do you think people are so afraid to put themselves out there and learn how to fail? Well, I think, I think there's a couple of things. I, can't, I think you can't teach experience, right? So you'll listen to this 45, 50-year-old CEO talk about, I got fired when I was 25, and I'm so thankful I learned everything, Right. But if you talk to that person at 25, they would have thought their world was over, right? So I think when you have time to reflect back, it's way easier to do that. When you tell a young person new into the business, it's okay to fail, they don't buy that. They don't experience that. If you work on one of our sales teams, you probably haven't failed a lot. You've probably been a pretty successful person in order to get there. So that reflection back is what allows you to do that. The other piece is, hey, we want you to fail, but you also have a real sales goal. Brock, you need to go out and sell a couple million dollars in business every year. And if you don't, we have a problem. So there is this balance on us as leaders saying, hey, it's okay to try things and fail, but you have a certain sales goal I need you to get to. And that balance is tricky, especially for someone who is younger and kind of in learning and and has a bit of experience here. So I think it's way easier to reflect back on your failures than in that moment say, hey, you know what? I just failed, but, uh, but I'll be better right? That's a hard thing to do. And I I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's a realistic look sometimes outside of that, outside of just getting better every single day.
1: So it has to be a pretty interesting time to be part of craft group, right? You know, most of your work is with the New England revolution of the MLS, but you're watching a whole new regime take place with the New England Patriots now after six Super Bowls and two decades of success and dominance now having to start over. So what is it like working out of Gillette Stadium during a time where all this is changing?
0: Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's so much uncertainty around that. But the reality is when you're here in Boston, the Pats have just built a lot of equity in this market. You know, when, when Brady decided to go to Tampa, I think what, what I saw from all of this fan base was thank you for being here. Thank you for the time you put here. I, I didn't feel like there was, I didn't hear almost any negativity. It was a thank you for these 20 years that you gave us. And through that, they've built a ton of equity. This this, this market is so committed to the Kraft family and to Bill Belichick and what they've built over there that. You know, people talk to me and they'll say things like, you know, well, Brady's gone. How are they going to sell tickets now? And it's like, stop it. They've done things very well and built an incredibly loyal fan base. And and I don't see them really having big struggles coming up. Now, you never know what the future really holds. And I think people have so much confidence in Bill Belichick as to what that's going to be and what their future will look like. And inevitably, you're going to turn the corner here and things are going to happen. You're seeing that in San Antonio with the Spurs, right? But I think the short term has still got really high end hope for the Patriots. There's just, there's too much loyalty to them in this market. And for great reason. If you can be vulnerable and honest with us here for a second, when you look at your team
1: and your business, what are some of these areas that you look at and go, we're not doing a good enough job in this space. We need to get better. I
0: think for us still, it, it is convincing our team sometimes that we are we're in the big leagues. We're a world-class organization. You know, you hear sometimes in our company, Patriots are this beast that's right down the hall from us, right? And sometimes there's not a there, there's a little bit of a feeling of kind of the little brother in that market. So it's getting them to feel like, man, you are in the big leagues, you're in pro sports. We can make a real difference in this market. And I just think our other, our, our other disadvantage right now is just youth. We have a young, inexperienced team. And no matter how hard these young kids work out of college, it just takes time to figure this thing out. And we have to have the patience with them to keep them around. We put a ton of of energy in just retaining talent. Because when, when you really look at my job, my job is pretty simple. It is the idea of I need to go out, I need to find and recruit talent, I need to bring them in, train and develop them and keep them. In the past, I think we've just had some trouble doing that. If I turn a sales rep over after a year or two, it is an enormous failure from the time and the energy and the commitment and everything that we put in to get them there. That third year is where a rep really makes an impact. So we've got to get them there. If we can keep talent here, keep them engaged, keep them growing, which has been our major focus, our major driver to do that, man, I I think the sky's the limit and puts us in a position where if we can get into a new stadium and have some senior-level talent, even three, four years into the game, and we'll smash that thing.
1: One of these ideologies that you have in your life and in your teachings is this concept of pound the rock. You preach this idea, and I can still remember the exact moment I first heard it from you and how in that moment, it all just clicked. Like, it's something you live your whole life by. Can you tell the listeners exactly what it means to pound the rock?
0: Yeah, this is something that, you know, is, is stolen from Greg Popovich in the Spurs world down there. It's hanging on the wall in the locker room. It's a very famous quote that a lot of folks talk about. But really, you know, a, a great example is when I was sitting at Staples Center, uh, you know, achieving what I thought was just so incredible and, and made me so emotional about, like, this time to sit in there and be like, man, I, I, I'm, I'm selling sweets here at Staples Center for the premier franchise on planet Earth and the premier venue on planet Earth. It wasn't me getting the job that got me there. It was, it was learning how to sell through the LA Galaxy when people are like, what is soccer in America? What is this all about? Or kind of grinding out certain times there as you go through that gets you to that position. So Pounding the Rock is really about the, the end. When you get there at the end, it, it wasn't about that last day that we got there. It was about the entire journey that you really had done those things and learned those things that got you to that position you want to be. And it's, again, I go back to your stuff a lot Brock, right? It's not about meeting one through 20 or one through 40. It's not the 110th meeting that it takes you to get your first big sale. It's all of those that have developed and you've worked on and worked on and worked on until bam, it started clicking and you started having a real impact.
1: Everywhere you go in your career, there seems to be this common theme. Like every organization, it seems like that you worked for has a really good reputation for culture. The San Antonio Spurs are kind of the epitome of that, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the culture you created with the Lakers and the Clippers and the Kings here. Like, I don't think this is a coincidence, right? Either you're bringing a huge piece of that culture and contributing it directly, or at the very least, it's just something that you are targeting in your employer. So let's talk about culture in the workplace for a second. Like, it's an extremely complicated topic, and yep. there's a lot to get through. And it's never as black and white as one answer. But what are some of these key pieces in your mind that you think make a great culture?
0: Yeah, I've been pretty lucky to to be in some really good cultures. I've been in a, a, a bad culture along the way, too. And I think culture is a tricky one. But how I really look at it is really, does your boss care about you? Does the person you report to actually care if you're successful? And not only do they care about you and the aspect of you hit your goals, but do they actually care about you? That is such a huge part of this. What we really try to preach is the folks that we bring in, the folks on our team, I want them to know that. Man, I want them to be successful, and I don't. Not, I don't only want them to be successful selling tickets for the New England Revolution. I want them to be successful human beings. I want them to have a fantastic relationship. I want them to be close to their parents or their family. It's the type of thing about looking at folks going hey, do you need some extra time today? Like, go spend some time with your family. Or hey, you know, if the gym is important to you, work out in the morning and get in a little bit later, but do that stuff that's important. When I think of culture, it's, does my boss actually care about me? Or are they really looking at this as I'm just a revenue generator? And I've had some challenging times with this in my career where I didn't feel that was there. And then some people that I absolutely felt that that was there. And when I think of some of my deep conversations with Kaj at Staples Center, even all the way till the end where I was really having conversations with her about where I wanted to take my life, I've just never felt such support and and love about... Not me as how I can drive her business forward, but me as a human being and and somebody who has a young family and she just wanted me to be happy and whatever that meant, she'd figure out on her business side. If we stop looking at our people, trying to develop them, man, they'll see that instantly, they'll know that, and then they're out, they're going to find the next gig.
1: How many rings do you have at this point in your career? So you had some with San Antonio, the, the Kings when you were here, Where Yeah, the
0: you Kings at? were just, the Kings were just before I got there. I have two. So I have one with the galaxy and I have one with the Spurs. And then my wife has a different one with the galaxy. Cause she stayed a little bit longer than me and she has the same one. We worked together at the Spurs. So, uh, yeah, I got two of them. I'm so thankful for, you know, a lot of people working sports a long time and never get that opportunity. And to be able to be a part of that was just was just incredible. And to be able to watch both of those live and, and have those types of things happen are just uh, just awesome.
1: Another really unique Nick Mann sports experience is, you know, you work your whole career to be a a part of a really special sports team experience, right? Like either a championship or the moment a big signing happens. Yep. You were a part of the LA Galaxy when David Beckham showed up. Then you were a part of of our team with the Lakers when LeBron James signed up. So what do you remember about those big moments? Because those are company,
0: culture, money, life-changing moments. The Beckham one was a crazy one. It was probably the, it's hard to say my favorite day in sports, but I'll tell you that one, that was really a day we got in early and the Galaxy signed Beckham. We made so much money that month. But when he came in, the things that I remember honestly about it were paying off my credit cards and paying off my student loans that month. Like that day when you're like debt free from those things. And that was such a moment that I'll never forget. You know, we in sports, you know, we get to walk out on the field sometimes with the players or do different types of things. But just being next to a guy like Beckham and experiencing just the aura around that cat is just a different world. What kicked off Major League Soccer is, man, an experience I will never forget going through all of that. And LeBron, man, I'm a Laker guy. So that that was so crazy. And I know we both remember that Sunday morning when I was was actually down at the beach with my family and it happened and we all rushed into Staples Center and that was a really hard part for me because you know I left six months later. Those experiences are just are just something you know and and, uh, ones I will never ever forget.
1: You know we ask everyone who comes on this show the same question about what is your why? And I think one of the biggest lessons, if not the biggest lesson you personally have ever taught me is that you should let your why lead a lot of your decisions in life. When people ask you that same question, what do you say?
0: I think the, uh, you know, this this certainly changes as, as life comes um, life comes at you and you get a little bit older and have some different experiences. You know, for me, it's it's just all about my family. Everything really is about them. And my wife is this incredible woman and I'm so thankful for her every single day. And, and I think, I just want to make her proud. I I want to make um, my daughter proud. I I want them to have amazing experiences and 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 I really look at a job and work and all these different things to do as, as, a, as a way to do that, as a way to provide them opportunities to travel and see things and have us spend time together. So for me, it, is, it has just turned into so much is about my family. And I think being back here on the East Coast and having my parents as they get older and to be able to really spend time with them and is everything to me. And I, it certainly grows every single day and makes me think more and more about that. Nick, this
1: episode has just been everything I hoped it would be, all the wisdom that you share. I'm so glad our listeners are going to get some of these tidbits. And on the show, there's time to get deep, and then there's time to just have some fun and keep it light. So what we're going to do now is we're going to give you some personal quick hitter questions. Just give us a first instinct, first answer off the top of your head. You know, I'm lucky enough to know you pretty well. Let's give our listeners a chance to do the same. All right, Nick, man, quick hitters, here we go. If you weren't working in sports, what would you be doing? I'd probably be a cook or a chef. What is your favorite sale you've ever made in your career?
0: Favorite sale. That's an interesting one. I guess what really jumped to mind was Robert Hershevik, even though it wasn't completely my sale. Me and Brewster worked on it together. But just having that like celebrity side of it was really interesting. And going through that process with him was uh, was really interesting.
1: Your wife, Andrea, describes you as, quote, Our relationship is he's never for a moment ever made me feel average, (laughs) which is an extreme compliment. But
0: what is one thing that you do that drives your wife absolutely crazy? Well, certainly working from home is not her dream because she works from home. And so she has, uh, you know, she has her office set up and everything here. And I'm loud. I think the idea of me being home all the time and taking away from her kind of space here is not her favorite thing in the world. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Uh, Probably flying. That's got to be awesome. Is it true that
1: you lost almost 20 pounds by substituting your lunches for cauliflower and installing a standing <laughs> desk?
0: Yeah, I am, I am deep in the cauliflower space. If anybody has any good recipes, I'm always down for different uses of cauliflower. <laughs> the albino broccoli is a game changer. Yeah, it's
1: amazing. I love it. As a big fan of stand-up comedians, can you give us your Mount Rushmore of all-time stand-ups?
0: Uh, Chappelle has probably got to be there. I love Chris Rock. Those are definitely the top two. Probably Louis C.K., and I really like Burt Kreischer. I like a lot of people, but those, those four are awesome.
1: And Louis is a Boston guy, so there you go. Yep. Who is the best high school basketball player you've ever seen live?
0: So I've seen like LeBron and James Harden and a bunch of these guys. Demar DeRozan played at like Compton. So I would go to a lot of those high school games. But the most impressive one I ever saw is when Lincoln High School came out to LA and Sebastian Telfair played for them. And he was one of those where when you watched him in high school, you're just like, that cat is different than everyone else on the floor right now. And he was so fast and impressive. The other guys were really good and I loved watching them. But Telfair was one that absolutely took my breath away when you watched him play ball. So whether it's artificial
1: or not, there is this essential L.A. versus Boston rivalry in sports and in life. And as somebody who grew up in Boston, lived a core piece of your life in L.A., and now was back in Boston, you're qualified to tell us. So we're going to give you something from Boston, something from L.A. You have to tell us what's better. All right. Boston's Dunkin' Donuts or L.A.'s brand name Starbucks?
0: I'll take Dunkin'
1: Donuts. L.A.'s Pride and Joy In-N-Out or East Coast Pride and Joy Shake Shack? Definitely In-N-Out. Great answer. We we might have cut this whole episode. <laughs> Footwear battle: LA's Toms or Boston's Uggs? I don't know. If these are my cup. Those are either
0: my cup of tea, but I think probably Uggs. My wife likes those. Which is better, LA slang or Boston slang? I like the LA scene because it's so. There's just so many different cultures out there. Which is the better sports town, LA or Boston? Ooh, uh That's a hard one. I'd probably say Boston because if you are here, you are a diehard Boston fan. Where L.A., we're such a melting pot that we have a lot of L.A. fans, but there's people from everywhere where it's like there's everyone here is a Boston fan. A couple of sports ones here for
1: you. Magic Johnson or Larry Bird? Magic, unrivaled. David Ortiz or Clayton Kershaw?
0: Uh, I like David Ortiz. Which city has worse traffic, L.A. or Boston? I'll tell you, I thought L.A. was the worst I've ever seen, but... Boston can hold its own, but I, I don't think you can rival L.A. They're just awful everywhere. I've heard that the only places
1: that rival L.A. are New York and Boston. So
0: Boston is terrible. It, it is really
1: bad. I, I didn't expect it to be so bad. Better landmark, Quincy Market or Santa Monica Pier?
0: Hmm. Uh, Santa Monica Pier. You can't beat the view. Better
1: actor, L.A.'s born Leonardo DiCaprio or Boston's yes, you don't have to say, Mark Wahlberg? No, nah, I mean, Leo's my man. He's, uh, yeah, he's my number one better musician la's adam levine or or boston's james taylor i'll take adam levine and the last one we have for you we're going to pair you up against two avengers la's robert downey jr or boston's chris evans so basically Uh, iron man versus captain america
0: i love robert downey jr he's my he's my guy is it
1: true that you have an instagram account with zero posts or followers
0: (laughs) i'm i think i have followers i i'm fairly confident I have zero posts, <laughs> but I, I might have a follower or two. <laughs> if you were on ABC's Shark Tank,
1: which shark would you take a deal with for your business? Definitely Cuban. What is one thing about Brock Hendricks that you think most people don't know?
0: I think people would probably know this, but, but Brock, I, you know, as I've gotten older, like surface conversations don't have nearly as much value to me. And when I think of the times I miss with you, it's closing the door in the office and us getting real about a lot of different subjects, about a lot of personal things. And I think when it comes to just somebody who can sit down and have a real conversation about whether it's taboo subjects or things that other people would be uncomfortable with, I'm really thankful for the time we got to have some of those conversations. I really enjoyed that. I can't tell you how many hours we
1: wasted Nick's office talking about (laughs) Salt Lake City or the most random topics in the world. True story. one follower on our instagram page told me that i only asked that question just to fish for compliments and (laughs) and that's my favorite comment we've ever gotten in my life the last one we have for you here where will we see nick man or the new england revolution in the next two to three years
0: Nick Mann you'll see in in the same position with the Revs in the next two or three years. I am hopeful that you will see the Revolution as MLS Cup champions with a new building announced and in the process of getting it finished uh, by the end of those, those three years. Nick, we can't thank
1: you enough for coming on the show and bringing your your Hollywood flair uh,
0: onto <laughs> the show.
1: You know, you're a unique human being. You're just special. It was an honor to ever get a minute with you, let alone a couple of years. So thank you for coming on and, and sharing with our listeners some of the things that, you know, I was lucky enough to pick up working together that hopefully they can pick up in, in the same way and kind of sharing the wealth. So thank you so much for coming on.
0: It was a real pleasure. Thanks, Brad.
1: Today's episode of Hot Coffee Cold Beer is independently produced by Brock L. Hendricks. The content you heard today does not reflect the opinion or views of AEG, Staples Center, the Los Angeles Lakers, Clippers, Kings, or Sparks, or any of its affiliates, subsidiaries, and
0: partners.